I'm here today with leading industry experts, Susan Kapitanovich Mar, Director of Sustainability at Candrel, one of the largest and most sought-after developers in Canada, and Joanna Crete, co-founder of Sustainable PropTech Canada, a community of innovators, forward-thinking individuals, and thought leaders with commitments to strong environmental, social, and governance criteria. Joanna is also the Director of Operations and General Counsel at Ventron, with Dina Pantalone, the Managing Partner. To learn about the PropTech Canada report, get your copy now by visiting sustainableproptech.com. The future is now. Okay, so, Suzanne, Joanna, I'm super happy to have you here today. I know, especially Suzanne, you came from long distance, like from Calgary, just for this episode. We're so you know, uh, appreciative of, uh, of that. So, and, and Joanna coming from north, you said, right? <laughs> so you're coming from Barrie today. Uh, again, thanks for to both of you for being here today. Uh, I'm super excited. This is our very first episode we're shooting with two amazing women in the business. And hopefully this is going to be one of many. Uh, and for that, I'm really uh, 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 grateful. Uh, we're going to actually talk about uh, not controversial, but, but also very exciting and upcoming topic of sustainability, especially in residential real estate. And um, I couldn't find any better candidates for this episode than you two. So I'm going to get to probably maybe Susan first and, and just, if you don't mind, just introduce yourself, tell us more about your background and uh, your journey and uh, the company you're representing. Sure. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Um, my name is Susan Kaptanovich Mar. My last name's pretty long, but I, you know, I, I bring it out there that it should be pronounced properly as everyone's last I'll name should. I'll do my should. best. I'm going to practice that. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Uh, so I'm actually an engineer um, by trade. I stumbled upon uh, my role after about 13 years in the consulting field and sustainability consulting. Uh, working on a whole range of uh, projects, um, development, existing building, and I'm currently the sustainability director for Candrel. And I am based in Calgary, but I have national oversight. That's and Candrel, I should say, uh, is a developer and a property manager, and we do uh, a lot of things for our clients. Oh, they're definitely top of my list, and mm -hmm. and uh, uh, we've worked a lot with Candrel. Uh, currently working on two of their projects, so um, I can tell you they're one of the best in the business, you know, if not the best. So, okay. So back to Joanna, just tell us more about yourself. I know you have a very, uh, uh diverse background and, 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 uh, but I think, uh, you know, it's very interesting for our audience to, to, to learn more about your role, your current venture, the company you're representing. I know there's not just one, there are multiples, uh, but just, yeah, tell us more about yourself. Okay, great. Thanks. I'm so happy to uh, be here talking um, with you both. It's so exciting. Um, so my name is Joanna Creed. I am currently working at Venturon, which is a small Canadian capital group that invests in um, what's called PropTech, which for the you know wider audience, uh, if you don't know, is sort of any technology that is tangential to the built environment. So any sort of real estate technology. Um, my path to here is not exactly a straight line. Uh, I'm a corporate lawyer by training. Um, I practiced here in Toronto for five years in a, a corporate securities group. Uh, and then I left that and worked in the dry cleaning and laundry industry, um, where I co-founded a software startup in that space. 
Uh, and then I, I happened to um, run into Dina Pantalon, who's the managing partner of Ventureon, at a dinner three years ago and started talking about um, uh, residential home building and technology and, and sort of innovation in that space. And, and she was expanding her team. And I was lucky enough to um, start working with her. So I've been doing that for three years. That's amazing. That, that's awesome. So, um, I mean, us being part of Rad Marketing, so we work with a lot of developers and we've seen developers on different side of uh, the spectrum. Those who really want to be innovative and, and wanted to really push the envelope when it comes to sustainability design and, and uh, basically creating something for our future kids <laughs> and the ones that are simply looking at basically building commodity projects, you know, it's all about, you know, profit now and they don't have that big picture, right? So we've seen it both way, right? But I think um, the next question I'm going to ask uh, is, is about basically the newest technology being used in residential real estate industry that you know of that we're either implementing here in Toronto or, or you think it's going to come in the near future. I think our audience is going to be very interested to know about that. Yeah, um, I'm happy to start. So we've seen in the last couple of years uh, the emergence of geo-exchange systems, which are essentially, um, and I'm going to try not to geek it out here, but it's a more or less a battery that exists underground through an uh, in interconnection of pipes that exchanges um, heat and cooling uh, with the ground to basically help the building um, reduce its uh, dependence on sort of a, an active mechanical system, as you would imagine a boiler or um, some other equipment that would provide that heat or cooling otherwise. So we've seen this technology in the marketplace um, really come about in the last couple of years, and it's been an amazing opportunity for developers, and I can go into that later, um, but it has also achieved some great energy savings. Uh, I think it is probably the most impactful technology um, for uh, reducing greenhouse gas emissions and improving energy efficiency in our uh, residential developments. But of course, with that, there have been there has been a lot of movement um, with uh, electric vehicle charging stations being added or at least um, routed in and ac accommodated for for charging for later installation of charging stations themselves. Um, there have been a lot of uh, smart meter technology, uh, thermostats, and then of course, conventional um, design, uh, best practices in green building design, which include, you know, this choice of materials with low emissions, high efficiency performing um, appliances and plumbing fixtures. So a lot of that has been existing for a while now, but it's it's been, I think, uh, moved up to a, a sort of a baseline uh, as, as industry has picked up interest. Interesting. So maybe we can ask the same question and go to uh, Joanna. So. Sure. Uh, I, I'm not an engineer, so I'll steer clear of talking about how <laughs> geothermal works. Um, I'll just add on to that to say, you know, at Ventron, we do a lot of research um, for our capital partners in terms of new technology and integrating new technology and sourcing it for their developments. And, and what we're seeing with geothermal, um, which is probably the same as you, Susan, is that any high-rise development now is at least sourcing um, and getting RFPs for geothermal for their properties, which is something that didn't happen uh, two years ago. So, you know, in residential real estate, at least the industry is moving towards that. And, and geothermal is important because 
as we all know, we have to have net zero homes, which we'll get into that more later, I'm sure, uh, by 2030. So to have a net zero home, you have to um, use the amount of energy that you produce in a year, meaning we need to bring the amount of energy that a home uses down so that we can create that amount of energy. And geothermal um, is a technology that exists today that allows us to get a good chunk of the way there. Um, and, and I won't get, you know, Susan mentioned a lot of technology, but one that I'll add on to that is um, the building envelope is where a lot of the um, gains are going to be made in terms of sustainability. And we interviewed someone recently for research that we were doing at VentureOn, and they called the building envelope the Wild West of technology. If someone can come up with a solution that's scalable, um, you know, they're going to be very successful and it's really going to change the industry. And one company that we found recently in Toronto is called Panergy and they do panelized wall solutions that are, um, that look like brick, but it's a, a faux brick exterior and they build it off site in a factory and, and ship it to the development site. So it saves time on construction, which saves money and it's a uh, better thermal barrier. So it saves energy costs. Um, and that's stuff that exists today. So, you know, the industry is moving forward and, and building envelope and panelization is going to be um, something we can look for in the next few yeah, years. Yeah, I think I, I, I wrote about those panels. So one thing is, it's really interesting, especially for consumers, uh, the precision, you know, mm -hmm. on, on making those prefabricated panels. So uh, it's going to be great for, I mean, you're not going to see any issues. And uh, so that's, that's really interesting, actually, a concept. So uh, one of the things that most developers, I don't know what they're talking about, or the ones uh, on, the, on the other side of the, the spectrum when it comes to producing and making commodity projects, it's about, uh, it's about basically costs associated mm -hmm. with, um, and the perception in uh, being like sustainable, you know, um, a building or sorry, creating sustainable buildings uh, often it's going to cost them more. So that's to me, it's more of a, like a short-term thing that they see, right? And I'm pretty sure if you look at the long-term, it's going to be great saving, not only for developers, but it's going to be uh, way better for consumers down the road as well. So maybe we would just ask that question from Susan. So if you, if you know, like uh, that's a perception, mm -hmm. is it true? Is it, is it really the case or you completely disagree with that? Well, um, there have been studies, actually, multiple studies uh, related to, you know, greenhouse gas savings or um, energy efficiency in residential buildings to look at, is there a cost increase? Um, what is the life cycle cost of constructing um, better, uh, more efficiently and more sustainably? And I think the answer to your question is, is maybe. So depending on the type of building, there is an associated upfront cost for, there's a, there's a what do we call it? A green premium, a greenium. Mm -hmm. um, uh, however, studies have found that there is an improved life cycle cost. So as you can imagine, if you make a better building, a better performing building, those savings will be realized in operations. But I do wanna say, and get back to the geothermal, one of the appeals of the geothermal technology is the way it's come out. Um, so the, the, the business behind geothermal and why it's so appealing to developers especially is the reduced sizes of mechanical spaces within the building provides an opportunity for increased square footage. So the financials taken care of with the geothermal providers, um, that's a side product. The developers get increased square footage. So automatically, 
you can you have um, an available space, uh, square footage to to make into sellable space. It's interesting you mentioned that. Uh, actually, um, coming to this podcast, I want to make sure I'm prepared. So I went through some articles that came out recently, and and it came across uh, 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 one came out I think two weeks ago, a National Post, and it's very interesting. Uh, interesting actually uh, topic. It says. Uh, Toronto is getting a condo building with an exterior made out of recycled junk. Uh, and that ex- basically expands. And I'm, I'm going to probably put the link uh, after we're done for this podcast. So for people to go and read the whole article. But but one thing about cost saving, which is very interesting, you know, the amount of cost they're saving this developer, in this case is Gearlock Development Saving. It says that basically this eliminates the need of cladding material like precast concrete. This further helps the planet as about 0.9 pounds of CO2 are produced for every pound of cement manufacturer. So this is going to not only be great for environment, but also going to be great saving for developers. And, and develop, actually consumers know they're going to be living in a great sustainable building down the road as well. So lo, let's go back to uh, Joanna. I'm, I'm going to ask the same question. And uh, is it true? The perception is that uh, being uh, sustainable or making or producing sustainable building, especially when it comes to residential buildings, it's going to cost developers more. Uh, or is it true? I'm going to give the lawyer answer and say it, <laughs> it depends. Um, no, I think I think that's fair. I think um, some technology does cost more and some products do cost more, but there are things today that don't. And I think, you know, in real estate, we have to have a long-term view Um, whether we're building for sale or building to hold because um, the timeline of these projects is long and the regulatory environment is changing. So non-sustainable buildings, uh, as we move towards our our targets of 2030 and 2050, respectively, in terms of uh, carbon neutral buildings, is going to make things cost more. Um, So if you're ahead of that curve, you're going to be ahead of the game because you will be paying more. It's whether you're paying more now or later. Um, and if you have those relationships in the industry with suppliers and developers that are um, experienced in this new type of building, you're going to be better positioned than your competitors to um, secure buildings and innovation going forward. And, and what I'd add to that is, you know, geothermal is, is a great opportunity for um, developers to have more saleable area, but it also... Um, will save them money in the long term on energy efficiency. Uh, the other interesting area that's going to be a potential revenue opportunity for developers uh, or homeowners is the concept of microgrids. Right now, like um, it's called building integrated photovoltaics, which is essentially solar power coming out of everything um, on a building, cladding, railings, windows, um, creates energy. And you can use that to offset costs. You can sell it back to the grid. And for, you know, long-term holders, you can own that power, that virtual power plant, essentially. And if you're a short-term hold and you're building to sell like a condo, these companies have set up you know, financing structures. Well, they will own the asset and the power that's created from it. So you, the developer, don't have to pay the money up front. So the business models have evolved to meet the, you know, the economic landscape. Um, interestingly, in California... 
Tesla has set up a, a range, a pilot project and arrangement with the grid there. So when they're in an emergency situation, if you have a Tesla Powerwall in your house, which is essentially a battery that stores solar energy, you can sell it back to the grid at a premium when the grid is in trouble. So that's revenue opportunities for homeowners, for developers, for anyone that is innovating in this space, which I think is very interesting. That, that's amazing. I'm glad that it's, I mean, finally happening because um, I have family in Germany and, and travel there a lot. And this has been going on for like 20 years. It's selling back the excessive actually energy that they produce for each and every house back to, to the city, right? I'm glad that we're, we're catching yeah, and, up. And just, I should be clear, it's also happening in Ontario, less a power wall situation, yes. but more at a community level grid um, that that's, has an arrangement with the power generator in that community. Yes. Um, it's mostly pilot projects now, but it, it's happening. And so, you know, my advice to, to builders and, you know, what do I know? But it's that, you know, talk to the utility in where you have a development, see what's happening, because this might be something that works for your community and it adds value to your homeowner. And I'd like to add to that too, um, the power grid to actual grid uh scenario has actually expanded to the car i've seen i've seen um innovative companies use the car itself as a mobile battery so if there's an outage you you connect your car to the power bank that's to the grid so in that way you you know it's it's a portable power system backup power system um that is also a car so depending on the need it, it talks back and forth the ac dc charge so I've seen that as well. And yeah, it's uh, generated actually on demand. So whenever you need it, go back to a car and just. Yeah, uh, I think your last guest uh, from Slate, they're doing a pilot, I believe, with Switch Energy, which is an EV charging station, uh, uh, you know, from car to grid to power the building when power's down. So a lot of that stuff is happening even right here in Toronto. Yeah, no, actually, um, just to, uh, uh, you mentioned Brandon. I, I, I believe you meant Brandon Donnelly from Slate Asset Management. He was one of our guests for our uh, previous episode. So. A great, great gentleman, great vision, and I'm pretty sure they're really pushing their upcoming projects for for that matter as well. So uh, this is more of a, like a hypothetical question, and and you can be as open as possible. Uh, what's your big blue sky wish when it comes to sustainability within the construction industry? So um, I know we're a little bit behind, if not more than that, from Europe, right? I just want to see in your perfect scenario that you in your world what do you think that we're missing or we need to catch up with 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 europe or or in general that technologies that you think that we're missing and need we need to actually bring them and introduce them to the market yes okay so i've been waiting for this question because <laughs> it's my my turn to stand the soapbox so um i think the newest technology is going back to the older technology so the way we should be building buildings is looking at, and Joanna, you mentioned this, the passive components. So looking at the building envelope first, and that means getting away from the glass boxes in the sky. So you started with what's my big vision, the blue sky vision. Like I, I would love to see no glass. I would love to see consumers recognize the benefit of, of a well-insulated exterior building that has a minimal amount of windows that still provide views because you know your cats don't need to see like at floor level the skyline <laughs> I, I don't think anyone needs that there's a vision area so i'd love to see um well insulated buildings come back and and uh, buyers home buyers seeing that for what it is it essentially 
insulates your building. If there is a uh, power outage a from an ice storm or from a blackout, that that shell will keep your space active and, and resilient for, for a long time. And this has been acknowledged, you know, studied for, for millions. You know, igloos are designed for, you know, in the way they are uh, for a reason. And then um, I would also like to see, um, you know, developers acknowledge that, you know, post-pandemic, the creation of common spaces, exposure to nature and bringing people together, that, um, you know, developments do have this opportunity to bring people and access to nature either on uh, rooftop levels or on, on the ground level, because the human element of, of building, I think, is something that the you know, current generation post pandemic has been um, acknowledged that we need gathering spaces that that connect people. And it's, it's good for mental health. It's good for uh, for people. So what I'd like to see are those two things utmost, uh, and then of course the um, selection of products. When we when we go and source certain materials, I'm not gonna I'm gonna say embodied carbon once, but the selection of materials is very important, not just from an environmental perspective, but also from the social perspective. You know, the ethical selection of materials. I'd love to have the consumer know these are the important things. These are the things that are going to safe proof your investment your your home and uh from disasters and also improve the value of your building once you know we all we know the costs of operating builds are going up so it's it's a safe it's a safe proof yep and that's impactful right like Very if you look impactful. at like it's interesting you mentioned that um i had a pleasure of meeting one of our developer clients just uh two days ago and uh, uh obviously we talked about the design of the building the, the unit mix you know what type of you know, future, you know, residents, this building is going to have. But one of the biggest visions of that developer, I'm hoping to invite him actually for one of our future episodes, was that, listen, yes, we're building this building, but we want to go beyond just the brick and mortar of that building. And we want to create a community because in that case, they're talking about seven acre of not only uh, two towers, but also create a community. And what is it that we can do? to basically uh, make sure that these people stay in the community, have all their needs covered without like commuting and hopping in the car, drive to another area for shopping and everything. So I think more and more developers uh, uh, recognizing that opportunity, not only uh, to create create actually communities and buildings, but also uh, to have more impact on, on you know, uh, future generations uh, as well. So going back to Joanna, uh, tell us, um, what do you think would make a tremendous difference and whether you think that wish will come true in the next couple of years or decades, what do you think that we're missing or we need to be, you know, incorporate, like to, to be implemented in our, in our, uh, development industry. So, sure. I, I don't think my answer is going to be, you know, super exciting. Um, it's more practical in nature, but it, it is my, my wish. So. You know, we um, we recently interviewed a number of people for a sustainable prop tech report that um, that we launched, and the common theme seemed to be that the tech mantra of move fast and break things, which is how you build technology, doesn't really work in real estate, where it takes a decade to build a building and it costs a hundred million dollars. Um, 
you know, generally. So we can't move fast and break it. But we do need a way that builders and developers can pilot technology and try technology in a way that is shared with everybody because 10 people trying the same thing to solve the climate crisis and greenhouse gas emissions from buildings doesn't really help us if we all fail. So my wish is that the industry becomes more collaborative and shares our successes and failures as we move towards trying out new technology because the digitization of real estate is the only way to solve problems at scale. Um, so I think that that is what I would hope for. Um, and I think it's starting to happen. You know, there's communities coming together, whether it's ULI or our sustainable prop tech community, that industry experts from a cross section of developers, technologists, urbanists are sharing ideas and discussing the problem. So that's a start. And I think it will happen. Um, it's going to have to happen before 2030, but I think it's starting to happen now. And I think people are sensing the urgency of the issue and starting to come together, whether it's offering um, sustainable products to their homeowners or building, Not you know, as you said, you hate a glass wall, um, putting a glass curtain wall that doesn't do anything uh, whether it's smart and um, has internal shades or generates uh, energy, seems madness uh, at this point. Interesting. No, that that's honestly, I, I, we have no choice but to to look forward uh, for all these changes. And I believe that uh, part of that comes down to our government at all level, whether federal, municipal, like uh, uh, provincial. And what do you think? Uh, um, you know, the government's doing. To help this process, are we are they behind from industry, or are they trying to push more, like introduce more code, better you know environment for developers to benefit and also uh, in, to be incentivized to go to that direction? Well, uh, I think it depends on the the level of government you're speaking about, because you know federally um, we do have targets, we have an action plan. Um, However, when when that translates to building codes and energy codes, that ship moves slow. Like that is a slow moving ship and everyone needs to be on board. So it it doesn't go far enough, uh, fast enough. So I, what I'm seeing is that a lot of leading municipalities are taking a stance. You've heard of climate emergencies being called by a number of cities um, in the last couple of years. And um, uh, you know, the, the biggest cities have implemented sustainability policies and, and plans and requirements. So Toronto Green Standard has a, a wonderful step system and have a have a read through it. it ha it's ambitious and they're the targets, the the um, the requirements are going to get more and more stringent over time. And in fact, we were now in what was tier two of version three, we're in tier four of version one. So you can see what, what's gonna happen. And so there, those requirements exist. Um, industry, I, I am you know, very uh, enthusiastic about technology coming in and the, the young creative mindset. I, I think that technology regulation and the financial sector in that combination, um, we working together, we'll, we'll get there. Um, but to your to your question, I think from a government regulation perspective, there is a plan. It's we're we're moving towards something, and um, 
is it fast enough? I think there's always there are always going to be front runners, and it's it's about the masses. It's about transformational change. Um, I think it, it'll take some time to get there, but right now I. Depends. Yes, I think the, the goal answer. is to have net zero housing by 2030. So uh, hopefully we can get to that uh, uh, by by then. Um, there's several actually countries have adopted or considering establishing zero uh, energy building or net zero buildings. And do you think this is feasible for Toronto? Uh, I'm going to ask that question from uh, Joanna. Yeah, sure. Um, anything's feasible. Uh, it's about <laughs> how much you're going to how much is going to cost you and how much people are going to pay for it. And I think. Um, to that end, you know, you mentioned Europe, you know, there's New York's local law in 97. The regulatory environment's not going to get any easier. Um, I think that's the, the general message. So we're going to have to do something. Um, I think, you know, the technology to build net zero buildings exists today. So that's not a gating item. It's the cost. It's the supply chain. It's will... Um, renters or homeowners pay the premium. And I think if you look back over the last 10 years, I think the answer to that is more and more yes. Um, there's obviously a tipping point, but, you know, people, uh, we, you know, there's a survey recently that, you know, 81% of Canadians uh, don't make investment decisions without considering ESG criteria. 66% of millennials won't work for a company that doesn't have a strong corporate social responsibility. So the Consumer sentiment is changing, so the industry will follow what consumers demand. I, I think there's a lot of long-term value in building this way, um, whether it's decreased costs or it's more climate-resilient buildings. Because as we all know, climate emergencies, tornadoes, floods, droughts, all of that is happening with more and more frequency. And building buildings to withstand that is only going to be a good investment. Yeah, I'm glad that we got here, actually, because that's going to lead me to my next question. Maybe I asked that uh go to uh, Susan again. Uh, but so we talked about government, you know, at all levels. We talked about developers and uh, industry actually leaders <clears throat> to um, basically and the roles in this movement, as, as, as we, we as we call it. Uh, but what do you think like homeowners, you know, and, you know, uh, especially condo owners or even homeowners, uh, uh, how can they drive sustainability innovation? Is there anything in terms of uh, when it comes to consumers for them to do or any small step that they can take to help this movement? I think there are a lot of things consumers can do. Actually, uh, you've, you know, I've mentioned the, the desire for a certain type of building. I think recognizing or being informed of what a green building is and how it's changing. You know, everyone, um, a, a lot of developments have smart thermostats. It's almost like a, a given these days. Step above would be to have submetered units. So pushing for being able to see how much your individual unit is consuming uh, and being accountable for that amount. You know, what you don't measure, you don't change. Um, that would be something that I think consumers could ask for. Also, it, it sounds like a no-brainer, but you know, the days of Martha Stewart's gas-fired stoves in the big range, I think, should be behind us. We should be looking at induction and electric um, equipment because can we put gas stoves in, in condos? Absolutely, we can. Absolutely, we can. Should we? That's, that's a different consideration. And I think the new generation is cognizant of that and is willing to adjust 
Um, so I think the the consumer demand of of these items, no, knowledge of what what is um, meaningful when it comes to sustainability and and not the sort of um, the the status quo. So as I said, the bar has been going up. What was sustainable ten years ago is now code. Let's keep pushing because the way we've been moving hasn't been effective enough. The rate of change, the transformational change that is required to bring us to net zero is it's a it's huge. It's it's not incremental. So we have to adjust our mindset. We have to adjust the way our expectations of what our parents had versus what we have. Um, it, it's uh, it's a change of mindset. So I think that consumer demand for green and asking those questions to developers or to marketing firms, I think is, is something that, that uh, consumers can Yeah, do. it's interesting actually, you mentioned about the induction versus gas stove and everything. Um, I mean, us being involved with, with consumers and developers, uh, we often think actually see both side of the spectrum here as well. So we see those uh, millennials come here, I say, they say, we want induction. No matter what, I don't want gas. At the same time, we try to actually help design boutique buildings for baby boomers. They're coming from a house and they say, I'm not going to buy if you don't have gas. So, so I think that's a big change that it's, it's same thing with, with the way we drive our cars, you know, the, the, the dependence on the cars, right? So that's kind of shifting as more millennials and next generation coming to the market. Right. Um, I'm going to ask the same question going back to, uh, uh, Joanna, um, what do you think homeowners and, and, uh, consumers can do? What, 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 what are the steps that they can take? Uh, can be very small, but to help get into that 2030, to me, very ambitious goal of being uh, a carbon zero building or, or environment. Yeah, I mean, I think it's about, you know, personal accountability. And it's, um, you're clearly a, an engineer, data scientist. If you can't measure it, you can't change it. You don't know if you're successful. Um, I, you know, I think... Everyone can do small things, whether, you know, you, you choose to live closer to where you work so you're not commuting. You're like, oh, do I need two bedrooms? Can I live in one bedroom? And these are all personal choices that you're going to make. But I think part of it is really about just educating yourself as a consumer. Know what exists, know what's on the market. You know, at Ventron, and, uh, we conduct focus groups with end users, homeowners, uh, agents, people that are buying um, homes and condos and educate them on the type of smart technology or green technology that's gonna go into new builds. Um, as a homeowner, participate in those. Get Learn things about what's going into new developments. That way, when you go to buy your home or rent your home, you're educated on what is available on the market and what choice you're making. Uh, and that's how you can have personal accountability. I mean. I, I, you know, I wouldn't be so, um, have so much hubris to say like, we can solve the sustainability problem and climate change problem, but like we can all make, you know, decisions in our own life, small ones or big ones that are more sustainable. Susan, Joanna, thank you so much for being here. I know you're both very busy individuals and, uh, we can't wait to have you back again at some point, uh, to talk about all the progress we've made, uh, in the, this very interesting industry. Thank you again. Thanks, John. Thank you. Thank you.